Hey there, it's Jeremy here, and I want to know, is there a topic that you've been dying to learn about, dying to hear us discuss? Probably not, but if you are in that camp, we have a phone number for you to call and leave a voicemail. It's a Google Voice number. The number is 678-568-9027, so you can drop us a line and put in your requests. That goes to Jeremy's home phone, (laughs) so... Um, if you're not a person who would like to call us, instead, you could go to our website. On our homepage, we have a request episode or ask questions section. We're happy to kind of fill out a form and send it to us. And if we get enough of these requests, we'll make a whole Q&A episode so we can answer the questions that you want to know about. We may play your question live, so sound good. <laughs> A 72-year-old male presents to the emergency department with shortness of breath. He also has productive cough and a fever to 102.1. Phil! Oh no, Phil! Is that you? Oh, say it isn't so. It's Phil. He's come back. His symptoms started two days ago when he couldn't stop coughing and just didn't get any sleep. On physical examination, he has decreased breath sounds on the left with positive egophony in the left lower lung field. He has no evidence of wheezing or bronchospasm. He is tachypnic and febrile, but he otherwise looks pretty good. Further workup is significant for a white count of 20. He's got a procalcitonin of 2.1 and a mild AKI. As the admitting provider, you order a lactate, a set of blood cultures, and start fill on some ceftriaxone and azithromycin. You presume he has community-acquired pneumonia, and so you decide to order 40 milligrams of P.O. prednisolone daily. Can we get this guy out of here? Steroids in community-acquired pneumonia. Maybe you agree with the decision to administer solumedrol to Phil? Or maybe, at the mere thought of giving steroids for Cap, you feel like that guy... No matter which camp you find yourself in, you aren't alone. In the literature, steroids as an adjunct therapy in pneumonia dates back as far as 1956, and they've been controversial ever since. The controversy even exists within our own pulmonary and critical care group. Okay, then where does that leave us? Perplexed enough to dive into the literature. Agreed. Let's get nerdy. Plenty of studies out there investigating steroids and community-acquired pneumonia. Yeah, I'm on PubMed right now, and I search for articles looking at steroids in pneumonia, not just CAP. But here I have over 6,000 articles to sift through. With the volume of data out there, it can be difficult to sort through it all. So as to avoid death by critical appraisal, we're going to briefly touch on three studies relevant to our discussion. There's two Cochrane reviews and one systematic review and meta-analysis from the Annals of Internal Medicine. We'll spend most of our time on the most recent Cochrane review, but let's start with some physiology. You want to start with physiology? Oh my gosh, like, really? No, no, but I assumed you were, so I just went there. That's not necessarily true. Okay, it is true, but it's for the people. Mm Mm-hmm. Cortisol is an endogenous steroid hormone, and like all steroid hormones, it's a hydrophobic molecule derived from cholesterol. 
Steroid hormones are unique in that they don't need to bind to a receptor on the outside of the cell. They are able to get right past the cell membrane and bind to a receptor on the inside of the cell. So practically speaking, this is why steroids have such widespread and systemic effects. They pretty much just go everywhere. John, when is cortisol secreted? Remember that cortisol is released in response to activity by the HPA axis or hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis in response to an acute stress, like an infection or a bear. The hypothalamus secretes corticotropin-releasing hormone. And corticotropin-releasing hormone travels to the pituitary gland. In response to corticotropin-releasing hormone, the pituitary gland releases ACTH, adrenocorticotropic hormone. Adrenocorticotropic hormone travels to the adrenal glands and stimulates the production of cortisol. For the purposes of our discussion, cortisol really has three main important roles in acute stress. First, cortisol primes the body for improved performance. Increased blood pressure, heart rate, and bronchodilation, typically increased sympathetic nervous system activity. If you want to run from the bear or fight infection, your body has to prepare for that. Second, cortisol mobilizes nutrient resources so that you can sustain that level of performance. We're talking about breaking down fat, breaking down glycogen, and synthesizing new glucose from protein, lactate, and other substrates. Last, cortisol calms down inflammation and suppresses the immune system. It switches off genes for pro-inflammatory cytokines, and it switches on genes for anti-inflammatory cytokines. Moving on to exogenous glucocorticoids in CAP. What's the rationale? Well, as we've discussed before in our sepsis series, episode one in our podcast, local bacterial infections will produce local inflammatory effects. We're talking secretion of pro-inflammatory cytokines, leukocyte trafficking, antigen presentation, and interfaces with the innate and adaptive immune system. More often than not, these responses don't stay local. We begin to see systemic inflammation manifested clinically as so-called SIRS. And with systemic inflammation, we also see activation of that coagulation cascade, especially in our microvasculature. We see generation of reactive oxygen species, endothelial cell activation, and subsequent increases in vascular permeability. We all know the detriment of sepsis and septic shock, but even in the absence of a clinically recognizable sepsis syndrome, high burdens of inflammatory cytokines have been associated with higher pneumonia severity index scores, higher risk for antimicrobial treatment failure, ARDS, and acute renal failure, and finally, higher mortality, longer hospital length of stay, and worse long-term functional outcomes. Further compounding the problem is something called Cersei. Ah, Cersei Lannister, queen of the seven kingdoms of Westeros, betrothed to King Baratheon. It seems as though she always compounds our problems. So, not Cersei from Game of Thrones. I'm talking talking about Cersei, critical illness-related corticosteroid insufficiency. Close, though. Cersei is a phenomenon described by SECM and ESICM, The basic idea is that when a patient is critically ill, we see dysregulation of the HPA axis, decreased cortisol production, tissue resistance to cortisol. So in patients with severe CAP, there may be an imbalance between systemic inflammation and cortisol production. 
Now, admittedly, whether or not there's a causal link between systemic inflammation and worse outcomes is up for debate. I will give you that. But the rationale for steroid therapy in severe CAP is that by suppressing the immune system, reducing the expression and secretion of pro-inflammatory cytokines, and finally reducing the amount of leukocyte trafficking, we should be able to calm this infectious inflammatory storm. And therefore, theoretically, we should have some benefit of improving mortality and improving long-term outcomes. As a side note, what you mentioned under number three, reducing leukocyte trafficking, this is the mechanism behind that classic steroid-induced leukocytosis. Systemic steroids prevent white blood cells from crossing the endothelium. So instead of moving from the blood and into the site of infection, they just stay in the blood. Exactly. The more you know. So to review, systemic inflammation theoretically increases morbidity and mortality, especially in patients with pneumonia. Steroids reduce systemic inflammation by a variety of mechanisms. And by extension, the theory is that steroids reduce morbidity and mortality. Theory is sound. Let's head over to the data and see if it holds up to scrutiny. As we said before, we'll be briefly covering three studies in this show. First up is a 2011 Cochrane review looking at steroids and pneumonia. This was a systematic review and meta-analysis of six studies and just over 400 patients presenting with pneumonia. Now, there's no mention of differentiating CAP from HCAP, HAP, or nowadays multidrug-resistant organism risk factors at the time, though they did include both adults and children who presented with pneumonia. The primary outcome of this 2011 review was mortality. Secondary outcomes were time to resolution of symptoms and clinical stability, pneumonia reoccurrence, mechanical ventilation, and pressor support. And for the subset of patients admitted to the ICU, they also looked at ICU admission and time to ICU discharge. But just to clarify, this study included both acute care inpatient and intensive care patients. Yes. The study found that corticosteroids didn't reduce mortality among patients with pneumonia. But interestingly, what it did find was an improvement in nearly all secondary outcomes compared to placebo. Corticosteroids were associated with faster resolution of symptoms. In patients with severe pneumonia, there was better oxygenation, lower rate of mechanical ventilation, and shorter time to clinical stability, and ultimately a shorter ICU length of stay. As a side note, there was no benefit among pediatric patients who presented with pneumonia related to RSV, or respiratory syncytial virus. What was the final take-home from this 2011 Cochrane review? The author's conclusions were that steroids do not reduce mortality, but in patients with pneumonia, corticosteroids may relieve symptoms. What about patients with severe pneumonia? They suggest that corticosteroids may improve oxygenation, may reduce the need for mechanical ventilation, and may reduce the ICU length of stay. Unfortunately, the authors rate the quality of this evidence as low. On account of there being small single studies, poor blinding, high risk of bias, and a very small number of participants. Accordingly, the authors weren't able to make any formal recommendations regarding corticosteroids for pneumonia in clinical practice. So the debate raged on. Those who love steroids had more support to continue using them for sake of those secondary endpoints, and those who hated steroids were able to tout another trial that demonstrated no mortality benefit. The battle rages on. Next up is a 2015 systematic review and meta-analysis published in the Annals of Internal Medicine by 
Simeon Newick at all. <laughs> Jeremy gave me the name to say, I see. It's um semi newick. Semi I don't know. It was just sorry, sorry Dr. Semi Newick. <laughs> We're gonna link it in the show notes. This study looked specifically at steroids for hospitalized patients with community-acquired pneumonia. Now, we won't spend a ton of time on the details, but I do want to say that we included the study because when it was published, it really started to frame the conversation around which patients with pneumonia could benefit from steroids. Spoiler alert, the patients with severe CAP benefited the most from adjunctive corticosteroid therapy. Just for completeness sake, this was a systematic review and meta-analysis of 13 trials, about 2,000 patients, again both adult and pediatric, who were hospitalized for community-acquired pneumonia. The primary outcome was all-cause mortality, and secondary outcomes were need for mechanical ventilation, development of acute respiratory distress syndrome, and then finally, hospital length of stay. Among all study patients, corticosteroid therapy was associated with a 5% absolute reduction in the need for mechanical ventilation and the development of ARDS. The study also showed that corticosteroid therapy reduced hospital length of stay by approximately one day. So 5% reduction in mechanical ventilation and development of ARDS. That's pretty good. What about all-cause mortality? The benefit varied depending on the severity of CAP. A mortality benefit was seen among patients with severe CAP, about 3% absolute reduction, but not among patients without severe CAP. How did this study define severe CAP? A variety of scoring systems like CURB-65, Apache 2, and the ATS, that's American Thoracic Society, definitions at the time. In either case, all patients with community-acquired pneumonia demonstrated some benefit with adjunctive glucocorticoids. And patients with severe CAP benefited the most in the form of reduction of mortality by 3%. So it's all good news? Steroids didn't have any adverse effects? Not necessarily true. Patients treated with steroids predictably developed significant hyperglycemia, which was pretty much the only observed adverse effect. So nothing like GI bleeding, delirium, antimicrobial failure? Nope. But it's worth noting that the authors of the included RCTs often excluded patients who were at risk for adverse events to steroids. So if you had a recent GI bleed, any evidence of immunosuppression, uh, if you were pregnant, you weren't enrolled in the study. So let's summarize. About a 3% reduction in all-cause mortality among patients with severe CAP, reduction in secondary outcomes among everyone with CAP, and unclear if corticosteroid therapy is safe in patients with recent GI bleed or baseline immunosuppression. The final study in our steroid discussion is the most recent Cochrane review, and this was published in December of 2017. This was looking at both adults and children, but mostly adults with community-acquired pneumonia. There was a total of 17 RCTs and just over 2,200 patients. Mirroring our previous studies, the primary outcome, again, was all-cause mortality. There were 10 secondary morbidity outcomes, which we'll include in the show notes. But much like the annual study, this Cochrane review also looked at the rate of adverse events among patients who were treated with corticosteroids. What were the results? Drumroll, please. Among all patients, all-cause mortality was decreased with corticosteroid therapy. It's worth mentioning that mortality benefit was nearly entirely driven, again, by the cohort of patients with severe CAP. Among patients with severe CAP who were treated with corticosteroids, the relative risk of death was 0.58. 
putting that into numbers we can understand, the number needed to treat is 18. Ah, an NT of 18. Just to clarify for our listeners, according to this data, we need to administer corticosteroids to 18 patients with CAP to save one life. Which I think is pretty good. On top of that, corticosteroids also improved our secondary morbidity outcomes in both severe and non-severe CAP. Most notably, corticosteroids reduce the risk of early clinical failure defined by worsening of imaging studies, no clinical improvement, and clinical worsening. The authors rate the quality of the evidence as moderate for that mortality reduction and as high for the reduction in early clinical failure among patients with both severe and non-severe CAP. Much like our previous studies, the major adverse effect seen was hyperglycemia with no significant change in other adverse effects like delirium, GI bleed, or arrhythmias you might expect to see. Let's talk through some of the limitations. First, elderly patients have high rates of treatment failure and mortality, and the mean age of the patients in the study was 69.8. This is a lot younger than our patient population, and so maybe the mortality benefit was overestimated for this cohort. So the lack of data prevented the authors from performing any subgroup analyses, so they couldn't really dig into things like hyperglycemia if patients with diabetes had worse outcomes compared to other patients. Just like the ANAL study, there was concern that patients who were at high risk for adverse reactions to steroids may not have been enrolled, and so the safety profile of corticosteroid administration may again have been overestimated. In all but three of the studies, classification of severe CAP was done at the trial level, not the patient level. What that means is they're determining if you had severe CAP based on the mortality of the control group. And if that's the case, they may have reduced the external validity to clinical practice. So since they looked at so many individual studies in a systematic review, the dose and schedule of corticosteroids administered varied pretty greatly amongst the different studies. In light of these limitations, what were the author's conclusions? They state that the results of this review support the use of corticosteroids in adults with severe CAP, as defined by ATS, IDSA, or BTS guidelines. More on that in a minute as they have been shown to reduce mortality, clinical failure rates, and hospital length of stay. They further add that patients with non-severe CAP may benefit from corticosteroids but with no survival advantage. They rate the quality of the evidence for this recommendation as moderate. So, Jerry, what's our takeaway? What are we going to do with Phil? Well, he's already been given steroids, first of all. So the question is, do we want to continue them or do we want to stop them? And according to this data, I would say it would be fair to continue them. Now, what's interesting is that when we look at the American Thoracic Society and the Infectious Disease Society of America guidelines published back in 2007 regarding the treatment of community-acquired pneumonia, there is no formal recommendation of steroids for patients with CAP. Now, what they do recommend considering is giving patients steroids if they have hypotension and shock and they have documented evidence of corticosteroid insufficiency manifested by a low cortisol level. But again, these guidelines were published in 2007. So at least from a septic shock standpoint, if you're looking at the shock and documented cortisol deficiency, 
That recommendation is actually outdated if you look at some of the recent steroid septic shock literature, which we're not going to dive into in interest of time for this podcast, but we'll link a couple of the studies in the show notes. Now, I will say that the ATS IDSA guidelines are slated to be updated and dropped this summer of 2018. And so I'd be interested to see if they update their recommendations for steroids and pneumonia formally. What about the British Thoracic Society guidelines? Are those any different? So the British Thoracic Society guidelines were published in 2009, and those steroids are not recommended for routine treatment of even severe CAP, interestingly enough. And looking at the next set of guidelines, the European Society of Intensive Care Medicine and the Society of Critical Care Medicine, and now Cochrane, all recommend giving steroids for patients with severe CAP. Now we're stuck in this sort of classic guideline limbo. Which guideline do we go with? What do we pick? Can I ask you personally, I would administer steroids for patients with severe CAP based on this literature. Are you convinced or are you going to stick with the ATS guidelines from 2007? Oh, after hearing all those guidelines, I feel like the screaming guy right now. (laughs) And legit, when I've been asking people around in the hospital the last couple of days on steroids and pneumonia, I get a lot of eye rolls and a lot of sighs. I didn't get any screaming guys, but I got a lot of eye rolls. And I think that's just due to what we've been talking about earlier. There's in pretty much every disease state, there's back and forth studies on steroids. Look at ARDS, sepsis, septic shock. And it's just hard to know when steroids is recommended and when it isn't and when it's changing by the most recent literature. So I don't know. If you were on and you admitted Phil and then I saw Phil the next day and you had started steroids, I don't think I would discontinue them. I would make sure he got a short course. But I'm not sure I'm not sure I would do it. I'm, I'm normally a guy who is very swayed by new studies and I'm trying to get a healthy level of skepticism but steroids is one thing that i do have a healthy level of skepticism around so i'm not sure that i would do it playing devil's advocate to your answer uh let's say american thoracic society guidelines drop in 2018 and they say we recommend steroids for community acquired pneumonia are you now swayed yeah i think i would do it because i've got ats idsa both as in combined guidelines saying that we should do it for severe cap and, and that goes along with SCCM and ESICM. So now I've got four out of the five, if you want to say BTS isn't there yet. But their guidelines are outdated at this point, too, 2009. So, yeah, I would do it. So let's say you end up convinced. Are there patients who we should not administer steroids to? So I think there's a lot of patient populations you should use caution when deciding on steroids in. You've got GI bleed, delirium, pregnant patients, and, of course, immunosuppression. So not necessarily saying that you should not administer steroids to those patients, but keeping in mind that the trials didn't include them. So we don't actually know if there's a benefit in this cohort. The other cohort that is not likely to benefit is patients who present with viral pneumonia. Remember, we had that RSV cohort. And the rationale is that if you give an immunosuppressive agent to a patient who has a bug for which there's really no antimicrobial, you probably won't help them out much. So both viral pneumonia and also they've extended that recommendation to fungal pneumonia. So like patients with aspergillus pneumonia, you probably shouldn't give them steroids. Are you sold on the fact that we shouldn't give steroids to patients with diabetes? That's a lot of patients. I know. That's a lot of patients. It's such a common comorbidity in our hospitalized patients. 
So I'll, I'll give you an easier question. Let's say you do start steroids and you get this predictable steroid-induced hyperglycemia. Do you have a strategy for managing that hyperglycemia? Because theoretically, it should be short-lived. They shouldn't be a patient who now graduated to this new dose of, of insulin. Do you start them on a new long-acting insulin or do you do a drip? What's your kind of strategy? Yeah, maybe this is too hospital blasé for me, but I'm really not super scared of hyperglycemia in hospitalized patients. I mean, I guess maybe that's coming from a place of treating COPD exacerbations for years, but... We're checking these patients' BBGs frequently. We've got long-acting insulin. I've got an insulin drip I can use if I need to. I've got glucomander. I'm just not, I'm not concerned about it. Now, I'm not driving their glucose down significantly. I'm, we're no longer doing tight control in the ICU, of course, looking more at the nice sugar glucose level of 180. So I'm not super worried about it. If they hit 200, 300, I'll just put them on long-acting insulin or insulin drip. What about if they have septic shock? Should we instead use hydrocortisone instead of solumedrol? Now, we frame the conversation kind of around prednisone in patients with severe community-acquired pneumonia, but there are also some recommendations about hydrocortisone in patients presenting with septic shock. If you have a patient with septic shock and severe pneumonia, do you stick with prednisone or do you just make the switch to hydrocortisone if you're giving steroids? I think if I was in that situation, I would switch over to hydrocortisone. Most of the studies in septic shock are looking at hydrocortisone. And if you look at the Cochrane review, there's a mix of prednisone and hydrocortisone in severe cap. So I think it's better just to switch over to hydrocortisone in that situation. Lastly, let's talk about what dose to use. Remember, the trials don't really mention any specific dose. And none of the RCTs used a consistent dose between trials. UpToDate recommends... 0.5 milligrams per kilogram IV every 12 hours or 50 milligrams of PO prednisone daily. I suppose if you were treating a patient with septic shock secondary to pneumonia, you could just switch over to the corticus or adrenal trial dosages, which would be 200 milligrams of hydrocortisone daily. But again, there's no formal data or recommendations to sort of formalize that. So is this the final nail in the coffin? Are we going to give everyone with severe cap steroids now? Well, if our friend's screams are any indication, the steroid debate will continue to rage on. Though I would say based on the studies we looked at in this episode, the steroid proponents probably have the data in their favor. Looking ahead, there are a few RCTs of interest on the horizon. The ESCAPE trial, extended steroid and CAP, is looking at longer duration steroids. There's a trial by Hassan et al. looking at IV steroids, given according to a variety of pneumonia severity scoring systems, trying to evaluate which is best and which patients benefit most. And finally, the American Thoracic Society guidelines are slated to drop this summer 2018. Maybe we'll post a short covering some of their formal recommendations on steroids and pneumonia. You think those studies will be the final nail in the coffin? <laughs> you know what? Never mind. Until next time, keep breathing, keep streaming, and keep reading. Keep reading.